Welcome to Have Hope Will Travel. When we travel, we get to know people who are different than we are. We hear different perspectives, and we better understand other stories. We learn to stand with people instead of having opinions on issues. I'm your host, Katie Axelson. This is the episode I mentioned to email friends during Advent. If you want to be email friends and sometimes hear about podcasts before they're released, hop over to katieaxelson.com. I mentioned the episode because it's a heavy one. In this episode, we're going to talk about suicide, we're going to talk about depression, we're going to talk about poverty, we're going to talk about divorce. It's heavy. If you're not in a place where it would be good for you to listen to this episode, it's okay to skip this one. Maybe listen to episode 84 instead, where Karis Meyer talks about, is suffering redeemable? But don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss other powerful voices who are going to come share their stories. Welcome to Have Hope Will Travel. I'm your host, Katie Axelson. I'm here with a new friend, Sequena. Sequena is a queer hip-hop artist of faith. She's a queer Black woman who's a poet. She's a divorced mother of four. She's a suicide attempt survivor, and she's here to share a little bit of her story. So Sequena, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. I am so glad that you are here because I know you've got a really powerful story, and I look forward to getting to hear more than what we've already shared together. So let's just open up space with, for you to share a little bit about who you are and what brought you to this place. Um, yeah, I'm a 32-year-old divorced single parent of four. It's also Black, queer, um, impoverished, and uh, Christian-adjacent, and a hip-hop artist. And how I arrived at each of these points is really a story within itself. Um, I'm originally from Charleston, South Carolina, but my mom was military, so we moved around um, a little bit throughout my childhood. I have three other siblings that I grew up with, um, an older brother and then two younger sisters. I also have a half sister that I did not grow up with. Um, when it came to like just moving around, like the most impactful move for me was when we moved to Italy when I was 14 mm. years old and uh, we stayed there for three years. And for me, it definitely was an amazing coming of age. Um, just getting exposed to a completely different um, culture and different food and um, just getting to travel to other European countries while I was there. Um, and I just absolutely loved it. And I, I hope that I would be able to return one day to yeah. visit. And so after that, we moved to Maryland um, and we were there for four years. And during that time, I started college as a film major, but that got cut short after I got pregnant out of wedlock with my first mm -hmm. child. And um, then when my mom was done there, she retired and moved down to South Carolina. And my younger sisters and I moved down with her, but my brother stayed in Maryland. And so after my first year back down in South Carolina, I moved back up to Maryland and I ended up getting married to a guy that I had met from my college days. And um, he and I just had a very rocky marriage, which ended after seven years together we have three children um and I started writing music back in mm -hmm. 2016 okay music chose me like I didn't choose music like yeah I literally was just minding my business one day just driving down the highway and the next thing I know I get this melody that's stuck in my head and I just had to get it out and I recorded it on my phone and then within a few days I had what sounded like look and then a few mm. weeks after that, like I had a whole song written. Um, wow. And I, it, the song, um, it discussed how I was feeling at the time about being separated from my husband sure. and being a, fun a functionally single parent. And yeah. um, 
my song catalog has only grown since then. Um, but it usually when I write songs, that's kind of happens. So I'm just doing something random. Yeah. And then something random will come in my head. And then next thing I know, I have a song. Um, so that's a cool way to write. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I love it. Um, I do. I've, a lot of my songs were written in my kitchen where I live mm-hmm. now. And I, for a while, I kind of saw my kitchen as my sanctuary. Yeah. Um, I would get the most inspiration. Um, so it's it's been cool to experience um, music in that way, um, where it just feels more natural. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't have to, like, force myself to, to write. Sure. It just comes to me. That's awesome. I wish inspiration came to me more easily like that. Mm-hmm. So you refer to yourself as being Christian adjacent. Can you define what that means for us? So I grew up very um, religious um, and not necessarily because my family was, was super religious, but just, that's just how I like interpreted scriptures. And so yeah. I was very legalistic um, from a young age um, and how I viewed the world. Um, it's very black and white. Don't do this, uh, do this, like that type of view. And mm-hmm. so um, from the time I was about nine to 21, I was, I just had that perception of the world. Um, and I was quote unquote, like a goody two shoes. Yeah. A lot of things. I didn't party. I didn't drink. I didn't do drugs. I didn't cuss out loud. Um, I was mm-hmm. very much um, the poster child for legalism. Mm. And um, it wasn't until I was 21 that I feel like I really met, like, God for real. Um, yeah. And I really looked at things less from a scope of um, workspace righteousness as, and just seeing that, you know, Jesus was enough mm. for me mm-hmm. um, and just functioning out of that mindset. And that carried me um, all the way until I want to say early this year. Okay. Um my faith was something that I'd never felt, um, that I always felt was safe. Yeah. I always felt that I would never lose, like no matter what happened to me, that's something that I would cling to like forever. Like, like it was just something I felt that was established, but, um, early, starting early this year, like I just kind of hit a point to where I was just, um, tired of, of, of feeling like forgotten by God mm. or feeling like I was getting breadcrumbs yeah. from him all the time. And it's like, you know, almost feeling like God was stringing me along and just giving me just enough to what I needed to get through whatever hard time, but not enough to like feel peace and really be at rest mm. for an extended period of time. Mm-hmm. And I just, I, I noticed that after like all the years of, that I've put in and I just was like, I don't know how I feel about you anymore, God, because sure. this doesn't feel like love. Yeah. It feels like something else that I can't quite define. Um, and so for the first time ever since I like picked up the Bible when I was nine years old, the first time this year, like I, I, I put it down and I just paused everything um, that was religious about me um, yeah. in terms of like praying to God and, 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 and mm-hmm. having faith and being secure in what I believed spiritually. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't, I didn't feel that security anymore. And I'm still wow. kind of in that place of figuring out God and mm-hmm. um, 
like god why are you the way you are like and sure. asking questions that maybe people feel afraid to ask um yeah and that's just kind of where i am I'm, I'm i haven't quite landed in in any one place or the other um when it comes to that but i'm i'm i can't say confidently that i'm a christian right now okay. yeah so yeah it's been it's been a journey um, mm-hmm. i've described it to one of my friends as like it just feeling like i'm floating in space untethered sure I'm trying to find a lifeline to get myself tethered to something so. yeah so you want to be tethered to something or just to feel like what i'm doing has an end goal or a, a ultimate purpose that that sure. i'm working towards yeah um something and you know that life isn't just life on earth and that's it like mm-hmm. um yeah so just me wanting answers yeah how has your experience with depression affected this journey i think that it definitely has played a role in where i am now okay um and me then a lot of things that are contributing to that depression with just being um chronically in poverty and mm. um not having the support that i need from my kids father yeah. like and me feeling like because of those things and other other things are playing to that but because of those things that god is is neglecting me like mm. god like where are you like you said yeah. you provide for our needs but i feel like even with basic things you're not meeting those needs and with my faith being such a central part of who I was mm-hmm. um, and, and how I identified like as that started to unravel like, the revelation of all these things and the realization like everything else started to um, unravel as well it's like it's all connected and it's all a big mess and yeah um, yeah it's definitely been been quite a journey yeah I can imagine what kind of what does help looks like as you've walked through, through poverty and through depression and through single motherhood? Well, just speaking to just single, single parenting, mm-hmm. um, just from my own experience, like some things that are helpful for me are just not assuming that all we need are our clothes and food. Mm. Um, like for instance, I live, I live in a low income part of town and every now and again, like I'll open my door and I'll see like a box of food just on the porch. Um, and I'll see that they, they would have done that with like everybody else in the neighborhood. But in my mind is just thinking, you know, I mean, I appreciate the thought, but you know, this isn't the best thing that I, I need right now. I have sure. EBT, like I, yeah. I don't need food. <laughs> like, sure. And people just kind of taking the easy way out. Mm-hmm. Of, of offering of help and assistance but yeah. I feel like mental health care is something that is in need as well mm-hmm. um, and because for someone like me like I, I tend to be alone most days I don't always sure. get to have extended adult interactions and, and sometimes help looks like just being able to have a deep conversation sure um, with another adult sometimes mm-hmm. it looks like um, funding me having some time away from the home life just to mm. be an adult to to be able to do something that I like to um you know just feel like myself again yeah um, 
because that's that's helpful sure. to just regaining like maintaining my sanity in the midst of mm-hmm. everything that I'm dealing with right um and there are times like when the stress of everything the chaos the, the busyness the tears the trying to fix everybody's problems yeah. keeping the house clean like you know it can all feel just suffocating sure and just having the ability to come up for air every now mm-hmm. and again can be like super helpful and I feel like people think that recreation is a luxury Mm. well really I think it's 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 a necessity like it's not something that I feel like only you know the rich should have or only Mm. people who are financially stable deserve to have sure Um, I think we all need that as 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 human beings to to function at a a a healthy level yeah Um, and so I think having more access to recreation or just being able to do things um, that we enjoy mm-hmm. would be so much more helpful. Like if someone had left movie tickets on my porch, that would have been a whole lot more helpful for me yeah, than like for sure. you know, a box of, of full of cans and, and, mm. and rice and stuff. Like, yeah. It just goes a whole lot, lot um, further. Yeah. That's a good call, especially with EBT. Like you're right. Food may not be the biggest need. And if you're just leaving something on the porch, you don't know what the biggest need is. Right. What are some other barriers that we could together work to remove? I just think, I think just in a general sense, um, like particularly people who struggle with, um, they have mental health issues and they need access to a therapist and um, medication. I think getting help can look like like giving that to them um or even like getting adequate childcare to give you the freedom to be able to even go to their sure. yeah or to go to work to be able to even afford these things for whatever insurance might not be able to sure to cover um and you know because sometimes a barrier is not having access to things um geographically like sometimes there aren't enough providers in your area mm. um you'd be able to, to go to yeah. um, who are qualified to assist you in the way that you need. Sure. And um, I think also like just when it comes to insurance, like I think if they were able to like expand their networks um, to um, make it easier for people to tap in, because sometimes there are qualified providers, but your insurance won't cover it. Right. It's like, well, that's not helpful. Not helpful. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think also um, transportation is, is also a barrier because not everybody has a car um, sure. to be able to get to these places. And so making things more accessible in that way, um, mm-hmm. whether it's having programs where people can have access to transportation when they need it or making having providers have more virtual options um, sure. for their services. In which I have I have noticed there has been a, a, a more of an uprising in that since the pandemic for sure happened. So I do think that um, there are things that are happening that are being that are helpful. Yeah, that is super helpful, and that's a change I noticed in the pandemic too. Is more virtual options for everything, um, which does mm-hmm. remove a, a, the transportation barrier. Yeah. So then you've attempted suicide multiple times. Would you be willing to share a little bit about what that journey looked like and what got you to that point? Mm. Yeah. So my journey, it started all back when I was about 13. Okay. And uh, back 
back then I was a quiet kid who didn't have a whole lot of friends at school. I was very socially awkward. Um, and this was before I really had a new label to call mm-hmm. that. Yeah. And I just felt misunderstood, not only by my peers, but by my parents. And mm-hmm. I, back then, I didn't want to seek the help of a therapist because I didn't want to bring shame to my family for needing that kind of help. Mm-hmm. Because in the Black community, seeking mental health services is a very uh, hush-hush kind of thing. And to this day, I don't know anyone in my family who sought that kind of help or who might take medication for their mental health. Like, Mm -hmm. we just don't talk about it. Yeah. Um, So fast forward to college, um, where I was still trying to find myself, but coming to terms with my social awkwardness and seeing how isolated it made me feel and I had had some suicidal like thoughts back then but it never went further mm-hmm. than just the thoughts um, yeah and all the while like I'm still very religious and I kept just trying to pray it away and just glean whatever I could from the scriptures because there was a part of me that believed um that being depressed co- constantly was tied to some kind of sin mm. in some kind of way um but then by the time I was 21, I was a new mom, a single parent, yeah. and I had dropped out of college. I was living back with my family, um, and I just had very little income. I had no health insurance. I had no direction for where my life was going. I was angry and depressed and suicidal because mm-hmm. in all areas, um, friendships, um, finance, religion, healthcare, I just had very little to work with. Mm. And... Um, I and, and this is the part where um, I feel like I met God for real because this is the part where um, he met me one night and I just felt like this joy um, and undeniable like peace um, yeah. that overcame me um, at the height of all of these feelings and mm-hmm. um, that's when my gear shifted about life and yeah. so fast forward to 22 that's when I got married yeah and like I said like my marriage was marriage from hell from day one mm-hmm. within Rough. the first two months yeah yeah within the first two months I was in a hospital because I had my I had attempted suicide for the first time yeah um, and I just had gotten to this point to where I just felt like I wasn't enough just as a mom, as a wife, as a friend, like my ex-husband and I, we would just argue um, Mm. all the time and for hours. And I was not used to that. I had never argued with anyone in my life ever, like Mm. until that point, until I met him. And I just constantly felt like my opinions didn't matter. And that as a human being, I just wasn't respected. And that no matter how hard I tried, I, I just would never meet his standards. Mm. So when I was put in the hospital, I was finally in a position where I had to deal with my depression in a practical way Um, because I couldn't get released until I got evaluated from a psychiatrist and I ended up getting diagnosed with um, clinical depression. And after my time in the hospital, like I started trying to like get it set up with a therapist or just reaching out to to see if someone would listen like within my, my friend circle um, but then a year later, I had my second attempt, and yeah. it was a similar thought process, similar triggers that stem mostly um, from my marriage. Um, even though, like, at that point in time, my ex-husband and I were separated, 
um, I still was feeling like I wasn't enough. And I was just, just ready to meet God because I was just over mm. everything. Yeah. Um, but my next suicide attempt, it, it happened about eight years after that. Okay. Um, and during that time period, I, I found myself, um, I had learned to stop letting like who my ex-husband defined me to be, yeah. to be the final authority mm-hmm. on how I saw myself. Yeah. and how I felt that God saw me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I matured emotionally. I yeah. learned how to better take responsibility for my actions. Um, I did everything I could to be a better mom and a wife and a friend. And I leaned more on my friends and just became more vulnerable with trusted people. Yeah. I accepted the fact that not all marriages are from God. And that is not wrong for me to detach myself from toxic situations, which guided me to getting a divorce. Yeah. Um, and in the end, I was just, I was metamorphosizing and in, in leaps and bounds um, in ways I would have never imagined I was discovering myself. Mm-hmm. But my momentum got shattered like shortly after I woke up with my ex-fiance. Yeah. Um, and I just got into a point in where my soul was just tired Mm. I was tired of poverty I was tired of struggling I was I was struggling financially tired of struggling as a mom I was just tired of how the world was just would coddle coddles men who just refused to grow up like yeah I was just tired of everything and I just I really just wanted rest Mm -hmm. Um, and thankfully I ended up surviving that attempt and just from that point, um, just this time around, I just kind of, I slowed down mm-hmm. and I just took pause um, with everything. And yeah. it took a few days after my attempt for me to soul search mm. and to just regain a sense of purpose mm-hmm. and to be sure of myself and that I wanted to stay on earth sure. um, to be able to say confidently that. I was ready to try again. And so here I am. Here you are. And I've been, I've been in therapy for over a year. Yeah. Um, and I have established friendships with people who've informed me that I can lean on whenever I'm having these kind of thoughts. Nice. Mm-hmm. And I also recently in the recent months, I've changed career paths okay. to just help um, establish and ensure more financial stability so I'm trying to pivot into tech and cool. yeah, just things have just been better. I'm just trying to set up a better foundation for yeah. things moving forward so yeah. I don't get to those same points. Yeah, that's really smart. Knowing where you tend to trip and then making sure that you've got safeguards to try to avoid tripping in those same spots. Mm-hmm. What do you wish everyone knew about suicidal ideation? My only thoughts to that are just it's, just, it's not, it's not always easy to know what will mm. trigger them. Sure. Um, but, and that, and that learning, learning those triggers just takes awareness and sensitivity, not only for yourself, yeah, um, but from others as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the main thing that I, I have to say about that. Yeah. What is helpful? if we know that someone we love is struggling with suicidal ideation? Mm. So 
just I'm saying this and you know, because I'm not I'm not a medical professional. I can only speak really from my experience. But I will say just being real with mm-hmm. people, um, acknowledging their pain mm-hmm. and not being dismissive of it. Yeah. Um, like for me, toxic positivity is something that I absolutely despise. Like mm. people just feeling like just positive vibes only and, and you know, everything's going to work out. And yeah, these, these false promises of hope of everything working out, just they're not usually helpful because chances are that person has already gone through every possible scenario in their head of how things could work out sure. with the resources that they have and determine that it won't work out. Mm. And so if people coming and insisting that like it can cause like just further um, frustration and detachment from those people. Mm. Um, and I think also just, just listening, listening yeah. is helpful. Um, and just giving like tangible action steps for how a situation can be remedied. Um, even if it's not like, you know, having all the answers, but just, you know, something like not, not saying like, well, let me know if you need anything like Mm -hmm. those generic type statements, because a lot of times, um, these people who are struggling, like they probably have already let you know what they needed. Sure. Um, and was crying out for help and, and, mm-hmm. and have felt ignored yeah. because of that. So I think, you know, having specific conversations and being very direct about how you can help um, yeah. is helpful um, and not assuming what you think people need. Um, sure. You because know, like, no, I don't need random people telling me they're praying for me. I need somebody to hang out for me. Like, yeah. <laughs> just so I can vent. Like, you yeah. know, just being very specific. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, that's good. One thing that you've talked about online is what does it look like to befriend your depression? Can you share mm-hmm. a little bit more about that? Sure. Befriending my depression, it just looks like me first acknowledging its presence mm. because it's a condition that I think tends to get dismissed or diminished as simply stress or in religious circles, like a lack of faith or prayer or sadness that just needs Mm -hmm. a little cheering up. Yeah. And I think acknowledging it requires a level of of, of honesty um, that some people aren't always willing to offer. Mm. But I think that's that's a first step. Um, And I think once that hurdle is cleared, um, you know, then like for me, like it just became, oh, well, I just want this thing inside me to go away. How can I make it go away? I want to be yeah. normal. And, um, just the shame that comes along with, um, being labeled as depressive, like, you know, the stigmas can feel overwhelming, but I, I got to a point to where, I discovered that maybe I wasn't asking the right questions. Like Mm. instead of asking, how do I make it go away? Like maybe a better question is how do I understand it? Mm. Um, And I was, I was fighting so hard to be normal, but it's like, maybe I should have been fighting harder to be safe because uh, Mm. normal is subjective and like maybe finding a safe normal was a better goal. Mm -hmm. Um, And 
for me, I felt I just I felt like this just put me in a more open and teachable position to understand the root of my depression. Yeah. To understand my triggers, to respect my emotions just as a valuable part of me and, and not a burden. Mm-hmm. Um, because our emotions are indicators of, of like something that, that could be wrong or sometimes yeah. and, and you know we it's not helpful to ignore them mm-hmm. um, and so by doing these things like it just it helped me to figure out what guardrails I could put up mm-hmm. to protect myself yeah. and to understand what I needed to feel safe in my mind to feel safe in my physical location um, to feel safe financially um, and to just work towards establishing those parameters on my own and with the help of outside resources and with friends. So befriending my depression was treating my depression with care and discernment for mm-hmm. however long it would accompany on my life journey. Yeah. And instead of attacking it and having a harsh attitude towards even the idea of it, um, I opted to hold its hand and I'm just letting it teach me whatever it needs to teach me about myself and about life. Sure. That sounds really powerful. So Quina, where can we find you online? You can definitely find me on my website, which is bandiesnotebook.net. On there, I have like my blogs and my music. You can also find me on, um, on Instagram um, and my handle is Bandy, B-A-N-D-Y, the Nomad. Okay. Um, I would say Twitter, but Twitter's kind of in chaos right now. I don't know. If yeah, Twitter's a little bit of a mess. <laughs> <laughs> so, but if it's still around by the time people hear this podcast, you can find me um, at Murray Seclana okay. on there. And yeah, those are my main uh places i have a tiktok but i don't really be doing nothing important right there. yeah <laughs> i get that so the show is built around the idea that we're always learning something we're always listening to different perspectives and so i would love to learn what it, or to hear what is something you've learned recently lecrae recently came out with um church close for um i don't know if you listen to mm-hmm. christian hip-hop music yeah so. That came out a couple of weeks ago. And there's a song on there. It's called Journey. Mm. And the hook and the premise of the song is like, you know, it's not necessarily about the destination. It's about the journey um, of how, of, of what happens, how you transform and then the journey of getting to a destination. Mm. And um, I've just been playing that song on repeat because um, yeah. He talks about his deconstruction in the album, and then I feel like I'm, I'm kind of where he might have been a couple of years ago, but I haven't quite landed. Um, sure. And so, um, just this recently, a couple of days ago, I had to present um, a project for in front of a panel of people um, for this internship that I am currently in the runnings for. Mm-hmm. Um, and the final phase of the internship was presenting this project of something that we had to, of this dashboard we had to make in the cloud. And I presented, but I was very sad because I didn't get to 
finish mm. the project. Um, I didn't get to the part to where I could visualize all of my data um, sure. like everyone else did. Um, but and I and I let um, one of the panelists know what was going on in my head and, and, and my my process and where I was and she was like well just show up anyways mm. um, and I did and just encouraged everyone to present what they had and however far they got yeah um, and for me when it comes to like presentations I like to go all out I like to like really knock things out of the park and really impress people sure and so the fact that I didn't get to like get to that portion to the finish line to be yeah. able to really like wow everybody like that the call on me and that was really mm -hmm. sad um not only because of that um but because like this internship um, means a lot to me yeah and getting it could really be that foot in the door that I need to really start climbing up the ladder in the tech world mm -hmm. um so it was a, a lot riding on the line and so I presented what I had and just went through the process of how I got as far as I did with the panelists and, and with the group and by the time I was done presenting, like I was crying and in and, and tears mm. and towards the end of like the meeting, they had everybody um, turn their cameras on because they wanted to take a group picture and my, because my camera was off the whole time and yeah. then I turned it on and they, they saw that I was crying mm. um, and they had me stay back after the meeting was over and yeah. they were just um encouraging me yeah. um just saying like you know this isn't this this process wasn't really necessarily about getting to the finish line but just seeing your thought process mm -hmm. um of how you were getting through each of the steps yeah and they were saying you know like you're you're standing out um to us in ways that the other people of others aren't that mm. maybe in ways you can't even see yeah um and they were just you know just really really um encouraging me um and like that whole thought process of okay well it's not necessarily about the finished product sure. sometimes sometimes yeah. it's just about the journey mm. and so mm -hmm. if I'm if I was able to just demonstrate just my talents to them just off of the like just journey alone like if they were yeah. able to see that mm -hmm. from me but that alone like that 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 encouraged me um yeah like you know maybe I'm putting a bigger emphasis on this than I realized um, wow and, you know, I might I might just be okay because mm -hmm. um, one of the guys was like I hope that they pick you I think x x x so-and-so would be like thrilled to work with you and I'm like wow <laughs> wow um, so yeah, that's something I've learned. Recently. Yeah, that's awesome. It is very much about the journey. And I think we like to make it about the destination sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, Sequina, thank you so much for trusting us with your story to being for being willing to share the hard parts with us to be willing to give us a glimpse of your perspective. Um, this has been incredibly insightful to me. And I hope that it was helpful for you as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thank you again for having me. For sure. As always, a big thanks for listening. If you find yourself in not such a great mental space, know that there is hope and know that there is help. If you're in the United States, you can call 988 for free confidential support for yourself 
or for your loved ones. It's like 911, but for mental health. Y'all, I didn't know this existed. Like, I just Googled what's the national hotline for suicide prevention, and I thought I was going to have to give you, like, a 10-digit 1-800 number. No, it's 988. Same concept as 911, but for mental health. I will be honest, I did not try it to confirm that it actually works because, well, I call 911 on accident enough that I thought I don't need to intentionally dial a number that I don't actually need right now. So if it doesn't work, I'm going to blame the internet, but the internet said it should work everywhere in the United States, and I know that there are similar resources in other countries as well. If you want a little bit lighter episode as a chaser, maybe check out episode 54, where Tanya talks about raising her family on a boat. Or if you want to hear a different perspective on poverty, explore episode 73, where my dad talks about what it was like to grow up in a single mother home. My friend, I am so glad that you are here. I'm so glad that you are willing to hear a different perspective. You're willing to learn. You're willing to grow. You're willing to change. You're willing to talk about uncomfortable things. That's what Have Hope Will Travel is all about. It would mean a lot to me if you would hit the subscribe button and if you'd leave a review. It's how other guests know that their stories are going to be safe here as well. Until I see you next, know that you are loved, know that you matter, know that your story matters, and that you bring a valuable perspective to the table. We'll see you again in two weeks.